to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Hallelujah. While you're standing, Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 3a. We honor our lead pastor in his absence. Pastor Chris, we thank God for our lead pastor. Pray that he has a great day as he ministers. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 3a. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri. During the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This would illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Verse 3a says, So Hosea married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim. You can be seated in the house of God. Amen. You look beautiful in Christ Jesus this morning. Those of you streaming live online, we welcome you to the service today. We thank God for his presence that's in this room. And today, brothers and sisters, as we jump and dive into this sermonic stream this morning, I want to talk about what God values most. What God values most and what I believe God values most is relationships. God is very concerned about relationships. And I think it's imperative I think it's, 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 it's very important, essential to be reminded for every single one of us that are seated in this, this sacred place, specifically Christians who primarily the Bible is written to. I don't know why sometimes we Christians try to make the Bible apply to everybody else that it doesn't. The only thing that applies to everybody is judgment to sinners. One day a judgment seat of Christ is going to come. Amen. But primarily the Bible is written to Christians. And we've been called to live what we call the kingdom life. Everybody say with me, the kingdom life. The kingdom life is is simply put, life lived the king's way. Life lived the king's way. So any talk of kingdom that is not Christocentric, meaning that it's centered around Jesus, centered around our Christ, the anointed one, isn't sound because Jesus is the king. So when we talk about the kingdom life, we're talking about living life Jesus' way. There's no your way, my way, his way, her way. He's a pepper, she's a pepper, wouldn't you like? It's none, none of that, amen. Some of you too young to remember that. This means that we are to live embodying the virtues, possessing the values, and acquiring the vantage points of Jesus Christ. And if you hear that, if we're going to live the kingdom life, we must live... Embodying the virtues, possessing the values, and acquiring the vantage points of Jesus. Virtues, values, vantage points. Virtues is character traits. Virtues are character traits. So he's a loving God, so the kingdom life is a loving life. Values are priorities. What he puts first, I put first. What Jesus has value on, I have value on. 
One songwriter said it this way. He said, Lord, break my heart with the things that break your heart and let me gravitate and love the things that you love, Jesus. And vantage point is simply perspective. It's perspective. And if we deal with perspective, it is a way of seeing things. For example, Jesus does not see true riches as, as riches. He says, you can have all the money in the world and still be poor. That's what Jesus says. So when I have Jesus' vantage point, I see things his way. That's why when he asks for it, I can freely release it because my riches is not in my riches. My riches is in my relationship. Amen? Somebody needs to hear that. My riches is not in my riches. It's in my relationship. And if my relationship is rich, there are things that follow. That's why Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added. And so a kingdom church has to teach us how to live life the king's way. And King Jesus prioritizes relationships. So we then, as kingdom churches and kingdom people, must be taught and receive tips on how to properly manage what Jesus prioritizes. Relationships are so important to Jesus that Jesus says one of the ways he measures one's spiritual maturity is by the mirror of relationships. It's very important. And so in other words, he says, I can look at how you treat God and how you treat people and tell how much you've grown. It's quiet in this room. I can look at how you treat God and how you treat people and tell how much you've grown. That Jesus does not gauge spiritual maturity by one's hucklebuck, by the helicopter, by any of those things, by dancing, by running, that doesn't mean you're spiritual. Sometimes in church we got this this preconceived notion that if a person takes off running, oh, that's spiritual. If he dances, that, that's spiritual. That's flesh. That is stirred by emotions that for the Christian is to be led by the spirit. How many of you know I can go to my Georgia Bulldogs football game? Amen. They score a touchdown and I might want to run. Why? Because my emotions are stirred. Hallelujah. So, so you, you got dancing stamina, but Jesus says that doesn't mean you're spiritual. He does not gauge spiritual maturity by even spiritual gifts. Don't miss that. Jesus does not gauge spiritual maturity by spiritual gifts. Amen? Because the people at Corinth spoke in tongues, but Paul said, you carnal. He said, I can't even, I can't even give you meat with your tongue-talking self. I got to give you milk. It's in the word of God. Amen. Because Paul says when the word goes forth, you're taking naps. Anybody remember your tiger sitting in the window, Paul preaching? He might have preached a long time. Amen. And, and, and your tiger fell out the window and died. And Paul had to go lay hands on him and restore him to life again. He said, you're carnal. So, so spiritual maturity is not gauged by any of these things. He says, the way I can tell if you've grown it's not whether or not you can speak in an unknown tongue or a tongue, but watch this. When somebody is getting on your last single solitary nerve, can you hold it in when you really want to let it go? That's how I can tell you've grown. Amen. Somebody's getting on your last single solitary nerve. Do the old you come up. They curse like a sailor. Amen, saints of God. Get around a lot of saints sometime, and I'm surprised by what I hear. 
come out of their mouths. Amen. If we're going to be the church, let's be the church. And let's not let, let's distinguish ourselves from the world. Let's not act like them. Amen. Let's let's distinguish ourselves. Amen. Hallelujah, somebody. That prayer should lead me to managing my relationship with God and with people differently. That the study in the word should lead me to managing my relationship with God and with people differently. I know this to be the case because Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked the quintessential question. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus, Jesus, what, what is the most, what is the greatest command? What is the most important commandment in the law? 16 and 613 of the laws, right? And we all know the Decalogue, the first 10, the 10 commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, love, honor your father and mother, amen. We know these things, but Jesus is asked this question, and Jesus responds to this Pharisee, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, soul, mind, and body. That's what Jesus says. He says, this is the first and greatest command, not to run, not to pray, not to dance, not to shout, he says, but the first command is the greatest command, and everything else I tell you to do will help you do this. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, strength, soul, mind, body. And then Jesus says, even though you didn't ask me, I'm going to give it to you anyway. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Then he makes this next statement, which is extremely important, can't be overlooked. This is what he says. He says, all of the law... And the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, if you do these two commands, you will ultimately be doing everything that the law says to do. And everything the prophet said to do. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus won't have to tell us not to lie. If you love saints of God, your neighbor as yourself, Jesus won't have to tell us not to get on the phone and gossip. Because there's something in my heart that, that supersedes everything that my flesh sometimes wants to do. Amen. But it begins with me first loving God and loving my neighbor. Hallelujah. So he says, if you do this, you're doing all that the law and all that the prophets require. He says, this is what your religious exercises should lead to. So then... Hear me now. The purpose is not just to pray more. Because, thanks to God, I got news for you. It makes no sense for you to go in your prayer closet and pray 30 minutes and come out of your prayer closet and not treat me any different than before you went in. When you go in your prayer closet, you're supposed to come out changed. You're supposed to come out with a new mindset and you're supposed to treat people with that new mindset because when we enter into the presence of God, that's where Romans 12, 2 begins to take place, being transformed. Into his glorious image. And I feel what we have today, high praise, is a lot of, not everybody, not most of us, but some of us, we have a, a lot of modern day Phariseeism, this idea that I pray just for prayer's sake, and I read the word just for reading the word's sake. So this is extremely powerful. Jesus says, if relationships are this important, this is something that can't be overlooked. He says, this is how people are going to know that you are my disciples, not by the cross that is on your neck, not by the I love Jesus bumper stick on the back of your car, not by the Bible that used to sit in the back of our car windows. Anybody remember those days? 
Not by the big Bible that even sits on the coffee table in the living room. No, those are old days. Amen. Some of you too young to know that. Jesus says, none of those things are going to tell people anything about you. But people are going to know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. And if you don't have love for one another, people are going to be able to look at you and say, oh, you're just like me. I thought you were different, but I studied you and I've searched you enough to see that you're not too far from who I am and what I do. Hallelujah, somebody. He says that they're going to be able to observe how you behave relationally. And based on how you behave relationally, they're going to be able to tell that you got a relationship with me more than anything else. Okay. John, in his epistle, said this. He says, I cannot say I love God who I have not seen, but then I don't love my brother who I see every day. He says, no way possible to be able to do that. Amen. It's that important that we give attention to this area. And that's the intentions for the sermon today, saints of God, to give us tips on how to biblically manage relationships. This is what Jesus wants us to do. Today's lesson is intended to focus on the first, the very fundamental, foundational, the most important relationship, saints of God, is our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father. Come here, all you tenured saints. Come here, all you tenured saints. God's got Star 69, and he's calling us back. Some of you way too young to remember Star 69. Amen. Anybody remember Star 69? Anybody old enough? Yeah. (laughs) God's got Star 69, and he's calling us back. And not just senior Christians, tenured Christians, but he's also calling back some millennials today. Amen. Because there's something going on in the pot that's not of Jesus Christ. And God is trying to get us to understand that he's calling us back. Because whenever we talk about stuff like this, what tenured Christians do is they dismiss the message because they feel like this is for other folks. But it's not for me because, Pastor, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time and I'm not tired yet. And I got this area of my life in order. So this isn't for me. This is good for others, but it's not for me. And the problem is you're making a very dangerous assumption. And this is the danger. The dangerous assumption you're making is that you and God feel the same way about your relationship. (laughs) Yeah, we feel sometimes that me and God feel the same way about our relationship. And God is saying you're far from the truth. Hallelujah, somebody. Because you hear people saying things like, you know, me and God, we, we, got a, we got an understanding. No, you don't. You're just trying to coin Christianity into what you want it to be and say, this is what it is and this is who I am and God is okay with it. How many LGBTQ community folks you talk to that say, oh, I got a relationship with God just like you do. I love Jesus just like you do. Amen. And I know this is not popular preaching, but amen. It's preached from this pulpit from Pastor Chris all the time. Amen. How many folks are living sinful lifestyles? Y'all know we live in the Bible, but you've heard me say this before. Everybody saved, smoke weed and saved and love Jesus. Amen. The devil is a lie. And saints of God, it comes a time where when I was a kid, when we was about to get into a fight, you know, sometimes, most of the time we were scared, but you know what we would do? We would do like cross this line. Saints of God, it's come time for us to draw the line in the sand and say, hey, either you on this side or you on that side. But this side is where Jesus is and this is where I'm going to stay at and there's no other way to live. Jesus' way is the only way, the truth and the life. And the only way you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven is to go through Jesus Christ 
and stop compromising, stop justifying what's wrong and do what God says is right. Hallelujah, somebody. The assumption is because you good, you feel like God is good with it, too. But there's some examples. You remember Malachi chapter three, God speaking through Malachi to the priest first and then to the nation of Israel. And in Malachi chapter three, verse seven, he says to them, from since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from me, from my decrees. And he says, you have not kept them. And then watch this. God says, return to me and I'll return to you. And you say, how shall we return? Do you, do you get it? That, that's scary because God is telling them to come back home and they don't even know they left. My God, that's good. God is saying, come back home. And there's, there's a, I feel a group of people in this world today that have left home, don't even realize they're gone. And God is saying, come back. Come, come, come back home. Amen, somebody. That's scary. They don't even know they're gone. That's one thing, but there's one more that's, to me, much more disturbing, saints of God. In Matthew chapter 7, it's a passage that has eschatological implications, end-time events, right? Jesus is saying at verse 21, he says, watch this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm Mm-hmm. But only the one who does the will of my father in heaven, he says, many will say to me, many, 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 many will say to me on that day, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name? Did not we drive demons out in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And he says, I will plainly tell them I never knew you. It's the end times and Jesus is putting people in categories. He's saying, you go to my right and you go to my left and you go to my right and you go to my left. And folks showing up saying, oh, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to your right over there. And Jesus said, nope, you're coming over to my left. And they said, no, I can't go to your left. My mama's over there on that side. I got to go over there where my mama is, Jesus. Jesus said, nope, you're coming over to my left. Oh, Jesus, why are you sending me to the left? I see all my, my high praises members over there on the, on the right side of you, Jesus. I got to go over there with my high praises members. You know I went to church. Because some people feel going to church, getting your religious fix makes you right, but you're still not right until you go through Jesus and repent of your sins and turn from your wicked ways. Then you become right with God. And Jesus says, nope, you're over here on my left. What do you mean I'm supposed to be over here? I was a good person, Jesus. He says, yep, you were, but I never knew you. Ooh. Amen. What do you mean I'm supposed to be over here, Jesus? I helped people. Yeah, you did, but I never knew you. What do you mean, Jesus, I'm supposed to be over here to your left? <laughs> you know, you, you, what do you mean? I treated people right. Yes, you did, but I never knew you. I never knew you. Well, Jesus, watch this. Didn't I prophesy in your name? Jesus said, you said that. I didn't. <laughs> And even if you did, problem with 21st century Christianity, don't you dare miss this, because I can just about wrap this thing up and go home right here. Jesus says, your service for me never replaces your relationship with me. And I'm afraid that there's so many folks trying to work, work, work for the kingdom, but not serve the God of the kingdom. Work, 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 work. But your relationship is what's most important with Jesus. And yeah, 
The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. But we must get to the place where we value our relationship with God more than anything else. We didn't know each other. Now, that's scary because arrogance assumes that I can never be in those categories. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? I don't want to be in the wrong line. So just because we don't feel like we got work to do in managing our relationship with God doesn't mean that God feels the same way. And the first, the first, watch this relationship we have to next level, saints of God, is our relationship with God. It's the first, the first relationship we got to get focused on is managing our relationship with God. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with this narrative, in Hosea, I want to contemporize and modernize the text if I can so that it makes sense to us today. Hosea is single. He's been to seminary. <laughs> He's paid off all his loans. He doesn't owe Sally May anything. He's got a place to live. He's got transportation. He's in ministry. So he has a diversified portfolio. He has IRAs. And since he's in ministry, he doesn't have a 401k. He got a 403b, right? So he's set, he's single, single, ready to mingle. And God says to Hosea, Hosea, it's time for you to get married. And Hosea starts to jump and shout, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Been waiting for a long time. I've been knowing my change going to come. Where you want me to go get at, God? You want me to go to the north side and get her? Some pretty girls over there on the north side. No, I don't want you to go to the north side. Oh, you want me to go to the west side and get her? No, I don't want you to go to the west side. You want me to go to the east side and get No, I don't want you to go to the east side, Hosea. Huh. Oh, you want me to go to the meat packing district and get a God? Nope, don't want you to go to me. You're getting close, though. Well, what do you want me to go get this woman at God? I want you to go to the red light district. Oh, red light district. Hmm. I've heard about that place. Oh, she, she must have dropped somebody off down there, Jesus. You know, she ain't dropped nobody off down there. Oh, she must work at one of them stores. Nope, she don't work at one of them stores down there, Hosea. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Oh, she must work in the vicinity of the red light. Nope, 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 Hosea. She works down there in the red light district. So watch this. Hosea goes down, and he has to marry this woman named Gomar, who is a prostitute. So he takes her home. Stay with me. Cleans her up. Mm. put a roof over her head, food on her table. Watch this. He treats her like where she's going, not like where she's been. Isn't that a sign of grace for us today? How God found every single one of us where we were, and instead of judging us in where we were, amen, he picked us up, turned us around, and treated us like from that day forward where we were going and not like where we came from. You better recognize grace when you see it. Amen, somebody. And based on the way he's treating her, you can't even tell she has a past. Hmm. When you see Gomar stepping out of the house, Hosea didn't change the whole wardrobe. Skirts a little longer. She has three children by, he has three children by this woman, and, and everything is fine for a season. But then the old ways start calling her name. Mm-hmm. Her old ways starts trying to woo her a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now the very thing God delivered her out of starts calling her back. I remember when I got saved. I remember 
1994, home church I was in, they had a class by Bill Bright. Anybody remember Bill Bright? It was a class called Five Steps of Christian Growth. And it was mandatory. Anybody who got saved came through our church, you had to go through this class and join the church at that time. Um, and I had a great, 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 great mentor. Great spiritual man of God, still living to this day, old man now, but um, great man of God. And he taught me this class. And I saw him not too long ago, and we were just reflecting on, on the past and what that class meant to me and how much he meant to me. And I said, yeah, I said that class was great, but I wish it was one thing that we could have added to that class for everybody who would have came through that class. And that was, before you got saved, what was your Achilles heel? Because we don't want to talk about that in church, what you used to do. Not understanding that sometimes the things you used to do comes, it comes knocking, trying to call you back again. Amen. I said, I wish we could have talked about that because that could have stopped some things from happening in my future if we could have got into that. But we didn't think about it. We're just so excited that somebody's saved. But I needed to be counseled on my past, making sure that, yeah, Jesus stopped a bunch of stuff the day I got saved, but there was still some things. James 1.21, I've preached this from this pulpit before. James 1.21, lay aside all superfluity and naughtiness of life and receive with meekness the engraft the word, which is able to change your soul. Do your due diligence. Superfluity in the Greek is residue from your previous life. Jesus says, James says, lay it aside. The things you used to do, it's going to come knocking one day. But James says, lay it aside. Yeah, they have our number one day. And even every now and then, they ring us. You know what they say? They say, come on back. Come on back. Sometimes figuratively, sometimes literally. And Hosea comes home one day, saints of God. And all of a sudden, he can't find his wife. Hmm. So he calls the police, they're all searching for her, and all of a sudden God says, Hosea, go back to the place where you found her, and he goes back to the red light district, and there's his wife. So he picks her up, cleans her up again, straightens her out, she cries, and she says, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do it again, right? Next thing you know, everything is fine for a season, and he comes home again. Next thing... He know everything is fine for a season. He comes home again and she's gone. She's gone again. He doesn't even call the police this time because he knows exactly where he is. You don't know where I'm at. I'm in chapter number three right now, Hosea. And Hosea goes back to where she is and, and he says, babe, what are you doing? And she says, I'm sorry. And he grabs her by the hand and he's trying to get her to come on back home. And all of a sudden, Somebody steps up, a man steps up and says, hold on, bruh, bruh. She don't belong to you no more. She's mine. And the Bible says that Hosea has to pull out 15 shekels of silver, some Gomer, some Gomer and some, some Homer and some barley to buy back what was already his. Hallelujah, somebody. I hope you're getting what I'm preaching this morning. Hosea has to go through all of this. Watch this, because God's trying to get a message to Israel. God's also trying to get a message to his church today. And Hosea's like, God, why me? God says, why not you? He said, you're a prophet, right? And he said, yeah, I'm a prophet. He says, well, I use prophets to speak to Israel, Hosea, but you need to understand something. I not only use the prophet's mouth, I will use the prophet's life also. Amen. (laughs) 
Hosea, I'm trying to get Israel to see that the way Gomer is treating you is the way my people treat me. And I need them to shift. Because I'm the one that came and got them where they were. I'm the one that treats them with value and with honor. I'm the one that treats them like where they're going, not like where they've been. When nobody else is there, Hosea, I've been there for my people. When nobody else is around, I'm around. When nobody else will stand around them, even when their reputation is being drugged through the mud, I have been there and I will always be there for my children. But all of a sudden, when they get me, here's the problem with church today. We get familiar with God. It's quiet in the sanctified room today. We get coming with God. Same thing some husbands and wives do with each other. We just start taking for granted what we have. Amen. It's what we do with God. We, we, we just get, we get familiar. We get coming with God. Oh, it's God. It's all good. It, it's, just, it's just God. It, oh, it's just my wife. It's just, it's just my husband. Come on, somebody. Can I challenge us today? Don't get coming and familiar in your relationship with God. Amen. And Hosea, something's got to change because I'm tired of Israel telling me they love me. I'm tired of, I'm tired of Israel raising their hands in church telling me they love me. I, I, don't, I don't want them to tell me. I want them to show me. And the way I need for them to show me is by staying their tails at home. Can you just spiritually high five somebody and say, stay at home? <laughs> Hallelujah. Stay at home. He says, I'm tired of coming home and you're not there. This is how you do me. Some of us don't like this analogy, but this analogy is right down our alley of how some of our relationships have been with God and God is using Hosea's story to provide with us the most valuable asset in relationships and that is perspective. Most valuable asset in any relationship is perspective because how you see a relationship is how you're going to treat a relationship. So if you see a relationship as being unnecessary, then you're going to treat the relationship as unnecessary. If you see a relationship as one that you're entitled to, then you're going to treat it like one you're entitled to. But when you see it as a privilege, come on, saints of God in the room, that God, you don't need me, but I need you. Hallelujah, somebody. You could have picked anybody, God, but you picked me. Then you treat that relationship as a relationship of one of privilege. God is trying to get us to see, can't nobody do you like I'm going to do you. Nobody's going to treat you the way that I'm going to treat you. Nobody's going to stand with you the way I'm going to stand with you. So if nobody is going to treat you the way I treat you, then you shouldn't treat anybody better than you treat me. Hallelujah. He's saying he's trying to he's trying to give them perspective and he's trying to get them to see Israel's unintentionally treating me this way. And they had no, no, no clue, no idea this is the way God felt. They were dismissive to the best thing that ever happened to them. And because God, God's trying to get us to see that this is the way that some of us treat him in our relationship, disregarding the best thing that ever happened to us. So you just talk to God when you get time. You, you just read the Bible when you get around to it. Amen. Uh-huh. You're, you're dismissive to the very thing that you, you really need more than anything else. You give when, when it's convenient for you to give. 
See, Israel was doing this unintentionally because they were operating with something that's fatal to every relationship. They were operating with assumptions in the relationship. Are you hearing me in this room? Assumptions are very dangerous. They were operating under the assumption that what they were offering, God wanted it. That, 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 that because God is self-sufficient, that he doesn't need from me. And because he doesn't need from me, then I can just offer him what I feel I should give him. You're going to be okay with it, God, because, you know, you're God. You're self-sufficient. You don't need anything. And God's like, yes, I know your heart. Problem is, you don't know your heart. Because Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful. And it's fatal to every relationship. Assumptions. Assumption that what I'm offering to the person I'm in a relationship is what they really want and what they really need. And saints of God, I had to learn this. If I become transparent for a moment, I had to learn this in my relationship with my wife. I hope there wasn't no brothers in the room that was like me, but sisters, if it was your man, you ain't got to wave your hand. You ain't got to do nothing. Just wink at me and I'll see you, all right? When I first got married, I thought I knew it all. I just, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. Hey. I thought I knew it all. I'm saved. I love Jesus. I'm trying to, you know, do what the scripture says. And one day, I said, you know what, babe? I said, girl, I love you. My wife said, no, you don't. She said, yeah, 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 you love me, but she said, let me correct that. You love me, but you giving me the kind of love you want to give me, not what I need from you. Psh. I said, what? You giving me your kind of love, but that's not what I need. I need something else from you. Psh. So I'm a man of God, right? So I go to my prayer closet, and I'm like, God, you heard what she said? I said, can I get an interpretation on that Holy Spirit? Because I'm missing something. Because, you know, I've been saved for a while, now, and I think this is right. And, and, and God said, yeah, I had to use your wife to speak to you about her and you as it reflects me and you. Because you come in church every week, and you lift your hands, and you tell me you love me, but it's not the kind of love I want from you. You come to church every week and you do this and you do that and you serving and yeah, you working, but it's not what I want from you. Assumptions. Are you hearing what I'm telling you in this room? So, saints of God, I promise you, this has been my prayer ever. This has been a long time ago. This has been my prayer since that day. So when I'm in worship service and the spirit is how I lift my hands and when I say I love you, God, uh, teach me how to love you, God. My wife had to walk me through understanding how to love her her way. She needed it from me. And the only way you're going to learn to love God the way he really wants it from you is to go to his word and to get in your prayer closet and say, Lord, teach me how. And God will begin to teach you how. So God tells us in his word how to manage relationships. He wants intimacy. We went to a marriage conference one time, and I remember this, this, this guy teaching. He said, intimacy is broken down in a sense that into me you see. And God said, yeah, I want that kind of relationship with you, that you get intimate with me. So in Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus says, I never knew you, the word knew is gnosko. And it means, watch this. 
I have not become intimately acquainted with you. I never knew you. There's not a point in your life that we were ever close. I never knew you. So God's word to us today is, listen, listen. I want to know you. But I want you to get to know me at the same time and focus on our relationship. Watch this. I'm getting close to being done. Psalm 103, verse 7. This is so good. The Bible says in Psalm 103, 7, God made his ways known to Moses, his deeds known to the children of Israel. So someone can know your deeds but not know you. That's powerful saints of God. So Israel knew God's deeds, but Moses knew his ways. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Moses. I want to spend time with God so that I'll know God's ways more than knowing the deeds of God. Hallelujah. God's way of operating. Moses knew his character. Moses knew his nature. And when someone is intimate with you, they know your ways. They can predict your response before you respond. And this is why people who are in an intimate relationship with God are very passionate praisers. They are people who tend to be more calm and copacetic because they can predict God's response. And they can say with fervor and with enthusiasm, watch this, no matter what I'm going through, weeping endures for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Why? Because I know my God and I'm intimate in my relationship with him. <sighs> I need someone in the room to know today that God has not brought you this far to leave you. So you can go ahead and praise him before he responds. Praise him before he opens the doors. Praise him before he answers the prayer. Why? Because I know you. I know you. God says, I know you. Amen. Paul says, for we know that all things work together for the good of them that know God, that love God, that are called according to his purpose. So when I know your character, your behavior becomes predictable. That's why God wants intimacy. So what does God value most? He values his relationship with you. And he wants us saints of God to begin to value our relationship with him. God, for some of us, wants to rescue our relationship with him. Amen. And he wants us to come home, stay home. Get in his presence and let his presence begin to change us. Because God has been dealing with me lately about Christian process. Individuals coming into the church, coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, coming into the ecclesia. God has been really dealing with me about the saints of God. I'm done today. And God says, yeah, we're good at bringing saints in. And Pastor Chris said something to me three years ago, never left my mind. Stuck with my mind. He said, Terrence, he said, we got to get to the point where we preach repentance. We got to teach folks about repenting. And I, I wrote on it in my mind a little bit, and it stayed in my mind. But one day, not too long ago, God began to really deal with me, and he began to say, yeah, we go through the sinner's prayer. But genuine repentance has to be added to that. Yeah, Lord Jesus, I... Confess my sins. I believe that you are Lord. 
but God, I turn. <laughs> Pastor preaches this all the time. It's a military thing, repentance. It's an about-face turn. I'm turning from, and I'm turning to you, Jesus. You're the only one. Why? Because God wants a genuine relationship with you. God wants a genuine relationship with me. And genuine repentance that says, Lord, there's some areas that I struggle with. Come on, can we be honest? Every single one of us got some areas that we struggle with that we don't want to fully give to God yet. But God says, yeah, I want genuine repentance that says, Lord, I'm willing to give that area up too. Because Jesus, I want you. <laughs> I, 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 want to, I want to challenge us as we rest on our feet today. Stand on your feet with me. I want to challenge us to move God just a few inches. Can, can I challenge us today, can, saints of God, can we just move Jesus just a few inches? I understand your mama was saved, your grandma was saved, but he cannot be the God of your grandmama's religion. He has to become your Lord. He has to become your Savior. What grandmama passed down to you was good. If, if she was saved and she loved Jesus, that's okay. That's good. What mama passed down, what daddy passed down, that's good, but he has to become your Lord. We, we can't get up and testify about my daddy and my mama's relationship. No, we got to give our own testimony. Amen. So can we just move God just a few inches? Can we move God 18 inches from our head knowledge of him to our heart knowledge of him? Can we just do that in the room today? Can we just shift Jesus from being the God that's in our minds and all our preconceived notions to being the God of my heart? And God, I want you to rest and rule and abide in my heart. And God, the things that break your heart, let it break my heart, Jesus. And the things, Jesus, that you love, let me fall in love with it, Jesus. I want you. I told first service, there's this song by Travis Green. It resonates with me a lot. It says, take everything, Jesus. I don't want it. I don't need it. All the things of this world, take it, Lord. Because at the end of the day, I just want you. I just want you, God. And I don't know who I'm talking to in this room today. But if you've been caught in the trap of religious activity and you've been going through the motions, the Holy Spirit is here today to say, come on home. I'm going to give you an anointing to stay home this time. I'm going to break the yokes. I'm going to break the chains. I'm going to break the bondages that have been keeping you strong. And I'm going to free you to live for me with all of your heart. With all of your mind. With all of your soul. With all of your body. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.